This is the weekly Parsha Shior with Rabbi Chaim Bravender of Atid and WebYeshiva.org. Recorded live in Jerusalem at Beit Knesset Haramban. Visit www.webyeshiva.org for live interactive online shiurim today. Okay, in this Parsha, in this Parsha there's an interesting, I think, an interesting uh, uh, problem that we're going to deal with. If you look at the first pasuk in Shmot Perikavtet, Shmot Perikavtet is in the parasha of uh, Tetzaveh. The parasha of Tetzaveh is about building the Mishkan. At the end of the parasha, it has this pasuk, Olatamid, Olatamid, that means the sacrifice that is given Tamid. And Rashi says, Tamid, you see the Rashi, Miyom Yom. The way of Sik Yom Natayim. That once the Beit Hamikdash or the Mishkan is built, this Korban is given every day. In fact, it's given twice a day. Once in the morning and once in the afternoon. And Tamid means you never skip a day. So if you give this Korban on Shabbat, you give this Korban on Chagim, every day you give the Korban Tamid. So Allah Tamid, and it's Tamid is an Allah. Ola means that it's burnt entirely on the Mizbeach. That's Olat Tamid. Lidorotechem is another way of saying forever. And then Petach Ol Moed. Petach Ol Moed. You have to imagine the way the Mishkan was built. That the Mishkan was a tent. was sort of like a tent and it had an opening. And in the, oh, you went into this little building and that the inside was divided into two parts. Two-thirds were called the Kodesh, and the back third is called Kodesh Kodeshim. So in the back third, you had the Aron Kodesh, was in the back third. And in the front, two-thirds, you had the Menorah, and the Shulchan, and the Mizbeach HaZahav. It's called the Mizbeach HaZahav, right, that you had in, the, in that room. Outside of that, outside of the tent, outside of the tent, you're in a courtyard, right? You're in a courtyard, and in that courtyard is a mizbeach, a very big mizbeach, with a ramp going up where they gave these korbanot. So that if petach oromoed means outside of the door of the tent. What was outside of the door of the tent? If you were standing there, you saw the Mizbeach. This big Mizbeach, this big altar with a, a kind of a runway going up, a kevet, it's called in, in Hebrew. There's a runway going up to the Mizbeach, and whatever had to be done on the Mizbeach, we imagine that, you know, like somebody leaned over and did it, but no, they were walked on the Mizbeach, the Kohanim, walked on the Mizbeach, and there was a big fire in the middle, and smaller fire on the side, and those fires were where they burnt whatever had to be burnt in whatever korban was given. So that the Kohanim would take the parts of the korban, the korban was butchered, the animal was butchered in the other side of the Mizbeach, and then they would take the parts that had to be burnt and roasted up the ramp, Right? And then they would do whatever they had to do. The Korban Tamid was burnt in its entirety. It was an Olah. It was, uh, and it went up entirely to heaven. Right? Something, something you could say that. So again, Olah Tamid, Lidero Techem, 
petach ol mo'ed sounds like it means outside of the ol mo'ed, because that's what you say, it's at the door. Lifnei Hashem. Lifnei Hashem. Before God. I don't know exactly what that means, but if you say God is most, you're most aware of God in the ol mo'ed, so lifnei Hashem means standing before the ol mo'ed, outside. Asher iva'ed lachem shama l'daber e'lecha sham. Iva'ed is a meeting place, to meet. So God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, that's where I will meet you and speak to you. Now, what did God meet Moshe Rabbeinu and speak to him about at this place? At this place in the Old Moed? The Torah. Right? In other words, during the 38 years that the Jews wandered around in the desert, HaKadosh Baruch Hu spoke the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu. And then Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Torah to B'nai Yisrael one way or the other. Right? That's, that's how it happened. That's how it happened. So that's what's being referred to here. The next pasuk, pasuk mem gimel, v'no'adeti shamam b'nei Yisrael v'niktash b'chvodi. And somehow b'nei Yisrael will also be no'adeti shamam. I will meet up with b'nei Yisrael v'niktash b'chvodi. So kavod is actually a synonym to HaKadosh Baruch to God. Kavod Hashem. Which, which doesn't mean the honor of God, but it means the awareness of God. Like, like you suddenly uh, 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 you know that God is there. That's what, that's what Kavod Hashem means. So this is what the Psukim said. Now these Psukim sound technical and boring. Right? Now what, I mean, Rui de Mistafina, I would say that they sound boring. But of course, I, I wouldn't say that. So now, Look at, look at what Rashi says. Asher Ibra Eid Lecham. You see those words in Pasuk Membet? Asher Ibra Eid, Asher Ibra Eid Lecham. Tisha Ekba Mo'eid Lidaber Elecha. When I make an appointment, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu to speak to you. Shem Ekba Enu Lavo. That's where we are going to meet. Now, how does God make the appointment? That's not stated in Rashi. In other words, when God makes an appointment to see Moshe Rabbeinu, does he speak to Moshe Rabbeinu? Or does he send him a note? Right? Or, uh, but if he speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu, that means he also spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu in other places. This was not the only place that God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore the Ramban points out that this meeting between Moshe Rabbeinu and HaKadosh Baruch which ended up in another piece of the Torah, was very similar to what happened in Har Sinai. So that the Mishkan for the Ramban is a kind of a continuation of the experience that Am Yisrael had at Har Sinai. So here Rashi says, Rashi is how does Moshe Rabbeinu know? How does he know when he's supposed to go to the old Moed? He knows. He knows God makes sure that he knows. I don't know how. I don't know how God made it. It's sort of like a, uh, maybe he had a dream, maybe there was a prophecy of some sort. Somehow, Moshe Rabbeinu became aware that he was supposed to, that he was supposed to do this. Now, look at Rashi. Yeshvi Rabbeinu l'meidim nikan, shemi'am mizbacha nechoshet. Mizbacha nechoshet is the big 
Mizbeach that was outside, right, that I just spoke about, where the Korban Olah was given, that's called Mizbeach HaNechoshet because it was made out of stone, but it was then covered with, what's the Choshet? Copper? Copper. It was covered with copper. Right, you, okay, so it's called Mizbeach HaNechoshet. Yeshu Mereu Tehle Lebeidim Mikan, Shemi'ala Mizbeach HaNechoshet, Ayakodesh Bochum Medaber, in Moshe, Kshukama Mishkan. So there are those who say that the conversation between Moshe Rabbeinu and HaKadosh Baruch Hu took place, that the conversation between them took place uh, uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu was standing outside of the Oral Moed, right, of the outside of the Oral Moed, by the Mizbeach. Is that, uh, is that clear? You know, that's where Moshe Rabbeinu was standing. Yesh Mu'avotenu ve'edimikad others say, others say, uh, others say that God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu What's the kaporet? It's, it's the cover of the Aron. That's how the Aron was built. Remember the Aron in this parasha, the Aron was three boxes. The outside box is gold. The inside box is, inside that is a box of wood. And inside that is another box of gold. Uh, you might call that plated or, or gold plated or something like that. When we looked at it, it looked like a golden box on the outside and on the inside. But you know that gold is not such a tough uh, mineral. So they, they built this box of wood which held together the gold on the outside, the gold on the inside. But it was a box. So now if you were to put something in the Aaron Kodesh, you were to put something in the Aaron Kodesh, you put it in from the top. Right? You put the Luchot in. It didn't have doors. Right? It wasn't like an Aaron Kodesh in Shul. You, you, put in, you put it in from the top. Once you put in whatever you wanted to put in, there was a cover to this box. And the cover to this box was much fancier than the box itself, which was made out of gold, but it wasn't fancy. The box, the cover was quite fancy. And that cover has a name, and it's called Kaporet. And on the Kaporet, on the Kaporet were the two Kruvin. The two Kruvin, which in, uh, uh, people call cherubs, unfortunately, because cherubs, um, cherubs is the name of some kind of Greek uh, thing. You know, like these little things flying around, little babies flying around. But it's not... So they got the word from Hebrew, but they use it in their way. But our tradition was that the cherubs had a different kind of look to them. Uh, But that's not so important. What is important is that Rashi tells us that there's a machloket about a fact. And that machloket about a fact is, where was Moshe Rabbeinu standing when God spoke to him? According to this pasuk in the parashah of Titzavah, you have to say that Moshe Rabbeinu was standing outside of the, outside of the Oel, near the Mizbeach. And according to the Yeshmi Rabbeinu, the second opinion is that he was standing in the in the Kodesh Kodeshim, I guess, or in the Kodesh, either the Kodesh or the Kodesh Kodeshim, and he heard God speaking to him from Me'al HaKaporet, from that place. Now, 
Kemosh uh, and there's a proof for this second opinion, a pasuk in Shemot Kafhei, that's in Truma, the parish of Truma, last week's parasha, Vidibati Yitzhami Alakapar, it says it the Fairish. I mean, you can't beat that, right? In our pasuk it says, it says, Petach Or Mo'ed, Asher Iva Eid Lechashama. That means he was outside of the, of the Or Mo'ed. In the Pasuk in Truma, it says, it says, uh, 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 okay. So you have a, like a technical problem. Is there, I mean, is there any reason to dwell on this? Is there, I mean, what difference does it make? Does it make any difference to anybody? People here, does that make any difference if if uh, if this pasuk is right or that pasuk is right? Or we can figure out some way of accommodating the two psukim. Not so hard. You can say sometimes Moshe Rabbeinu is outside, sometimes Moshe Rabbeinu is inside. It's not such a big. It's not such a big deal. Not such a big deal. But if we look further, we'll see that it's a bigger deal than we thought. If you look at the pasuk that Moshe Rabbeinu, that uh, Rashi is quoting. That's Perik Kavhei Pasuk Kavbeit V'no Aditi L'chasham V'dibarti Yitzchah Me'ala Kaporim That's what it says in the Pasuk In the Pasuk in Truma Rashi says V'dibarti Yitzchah Me'ala Kaporim You see that? The Rashi in the middle uh, Pasuk Kavbeit, I'm sorry Pasuk Kavbeit, the second line V'dibarti Yitzchah Me'ala Kaporim V'akom Achir Omer There's another Pasuk a third pasuk, which we haven't even looked at yet, in Vayikra Perik Aleph Pasuk Aleph, it says, "Where the Be'er Shemay loved May Oel Moed Lemo May Oel Moed." So it sounds like where was Moshe Rabbeinu? He was outside of the Oel Moed, and God spoke to him from the Oel Moed Lemo Zeh Mishkan Michutz LaParochet. He says, "No, that's the Mishkan Michutz LaParochet. What's the Parochet?" That's what divides the Kodesh, Kodeshim, and the Kodesh. So according to one Pasuk, Moshe Rabbeinu was in the Kodesh, Kodeshim. According to another Pasuk, Moshe Rabbeinu was outside. And, I mean, in between, the, in the Kodesh, in the outside room. And according to the third Pasuk, he was outside of the Oromoed entirely. So Rashi says, listen to this, Nintsu'u now, we could have lived with this. We could say, God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu, sometimes from here, sometimes from there, sometimes the other place. We're trying to figure out when does HaKadosh Baruch speak to Moshe Rabbeinu from the Alakaporet, and when does he speak to him from the Kodesh, and when does he speak to him from outside the Beit But no, Chazal say that would be incorrect. It would be incorrect for us to look for such a terrorist. Why? Because, because, uh, because, Makom Acher, Nimsu Shneik Tu Vim Achishim Zayatzeh. You ever hear that sentence? You ever hear that sentence? Well, it's in the Birkot Shachar every morning. That's, you know, some people actually say it. <laughs> So there's a brighter, the brighter of Rabbi, Rabbi Ishmael, who quotes the Yud Gibel Bidot Shatoran Nidreshe. So they're like, we don't. 
The last of them, the thirteenth midah, is shnei haktuvim machishim zezeh. What do you have a case of two psukim that don't agree with each other? There's such an idea that two psukim disagree with each other. One says it's day, the other one says it's night. The third pasuk comes along and says it's day, so you know that the day pasuk is right and the night pasuk is wrong. That's what that's what uh, uh, the brighter says. He says, "Great, So there's a third pasuk that is going to determine who's right. What is the third pasuk? Pasuk Midbar, pasuk I'm sorry. The Pasuk says, V'bo Moshel Olmo Eid, V'shamat HaKol Medaber Elam Elam Kaporet, Moshe Ya Nechnas Mishkan, V'kevin Shabbat Betos HaPetach, Kol Yoreid Min HaShamayim Levein HaKeruvim, U'visham Yotzei V'nishmala Moshe V'olmo Eid. So Moshe Rabbeinu would go into the Olmo Eid, the coal would come from the Kaporet, and, and, uh, and that's, so that, the answer to the question of where the voice of God came to Moshe Rabbeinu from is it came from the Kaporet. Where was Moshe Rabbeinu standing? In the Kodesh. Right? So, that's the right answer. Any Pesach that says anything else, like the Pesach in Truma, look again at the Pesach in Truma, Hashem 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 Right? I'm sorry. Petach Olmo Eid Levnei Hashem Hashem Iva Eid Lecham Shama That Pasuk is wrong. It's giving me wrong information. So this, you have to understand. We just look at the Pasuk in Babidbar. We'll turn the page. The Pasuk in Babidbar says, Revol Moshel Olmo Eid Levnei Tovei Shmat Akol Medabei Elam Meara Kaporet Asher Alaron Eidut Bebein Shnei Akruvim Rashi says, Moshe, What are the snake to them? What are the two psukim? The first is Vayikra Aleph Aleph, Vayidaber Hashem Elav, Mi Ohel Moed, Vehu Chutzla Parochet, that the voice came to Moshe Rabbeinu, from the other side of the parochet, from the Kodesh, and not the Kodesh Kodesh, it's parochet. Uktiv Echadomer, that he quotes the Pasuk in Truma, the Dibati Itchami Al Hakaporet. That no, 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 the voice is going to come from Me Al Hakaporet. It leaves out our Pasuk, this particular rendition. Doesn't even quote our Pasuk. And he says, so that these two, this is how it was. Any person that says anything else seems to be wrong. So the problem is, how could Chazal develop a kind of way of looking at things that implies that there's a person in the Torah that's wrong? I mean, why would they say that? Why should we end up our study of this matter, even though it, to us it doesn't make so much difference because it doesn't, there's no implication for us. Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah from Kodesh Baruch Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Torah to B'nai Yisrael. 
whether he was standing here, he was standing there, standing the other way. It's very interesting to know, but it doesn't make any difference as far as we're concerned. It's the same Torah, the same receiving, the same understanding, the same teaching, it's all the same. And yet, on this point, Chazal have created an odd situation. Instead of saying, one Pasuk is talking about this, and the other Pasuk is talking about that, one Pasuk is talking about messages that Moshe Rabbeinu received from HaKadosh Baruch Hu ad hoc, that had to do with B'nai Yisrael, what they were doing in the desert, the things that were happening. And the other one is talking about Moshe Rabbeinu receiving the Torah. That seems to me to be kind of an obvious way of dealing with the problem. The Chazal dealt with it in a different way. They said, there's right and there's wrong. The Pasuk that's right is the Pasuk that has statistically more, is repeated more times. And in this case, which Pasuk is right? The Pasuk in Bamidbar. The Pasuk that says that Moshe Rabbeinu was standing uh, outside of the Kodesh Kadashim, but heard the voice calling the Allah Kaporet from inside. But doesn't uh, justify at all the idea that Moshe Rabbeinu might have been standing outside of the Beit HaMikdash, near the Mizbeach and the Choshe, outside of the, the Kodesh, and Kodesh could be Oral Moed, right? Next to the Mizbeach, the Mizbeach and the Choshe, in the desert it didn't rain. So, didn't matter. So I want to tell you, first of all, just uh, in the sheet, you have uh, the bright, uh, the Rabbi Yishmael, there's a mistake. I don't know how you can make a mistake because it all comes out of the computer. I mean, the computer made a mistake. That's really a tragedy. You know. Rabbi Yishmael, you should take a look at it. If you don't remember, it's right at the end of Pesukei de Zimra. Right, which we what? I mean, uh, 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 the Kabbalah to come after Birkas Hashacha and Birkas Torah, right? It's all part of Birkas Torah. This brighter, and as you learn, since we said Birkat Torah in the morning, everybody says Birkat Torah, right? Men and women, everybody says Birkat Torah. Since you said Birkat Torah, even though the bracha that you make is good for the whole day, so to speak, right? You don't have to really learn right away. But in order to make sure that we don't, we're not remiss in the, uh, the like the bracha creates an obligation. It's not just a bracha, but you have to learn something. So since you have to learn something, the sitter gives you things to learn. So that of an erstafal, as they say, that the worst possible case, and you won't have a chance to learn during the day, you will have learned something, and the bracha will be appropriate, right? So it will be an appropriate bracha for the learning that you do. So, number 13 of the Yud Gibel Midot is And Yachriya Benihem in Hebrew sounds like one is right and one is wrong. And if one is right and one is wrong then it means you have a pasuk in the Torah that's wrong. And that seems an odd thing. I mean, it seems to us to be an odd thing, so I want to... Let's learn together how Rav Cook dealt with this problem. Rav Cook, uh, they collected all of the commentary of Rav Cook that sounds like it has something to do with the sitter, and they put it together in a sitter, they call it Olatra Iya, Resh Aleph Yudhe, Avrab Yitzvah Kakoe. 
Right, that was his name. So the, this is from the sitter. I mean, you can, you can get the book. This is not a mystery kind of book. But again, it's printed out from the computer, not from the book. Are you with me? I'm reading it. Why do we make some kind of like strange way of dealing? I mean, why would we want to have mistakes in the Torah? That seems like a uh, counter-indicated. The power of this contradiction. He rak machala haba al hahigayom. Machala is a way of saying a grievous error. Like it's a thickness. Haba al hahigayom, which overwhelms, it comes because of logic. Now, once you say logic, uh, the word logic is a word that describes a human capacity. We are logical. Right? We are logical. Cats are not logical. But since we are logical, it's also conceivable that our logic is limited. That we're not ultimately logical. We're only logical for us. So, So here Rav Kook says, there's such a thing as Seichel HaAdam. We all have. Now we know that everybody's different. Some people have a lower IQ and some people have a higher IQ. But even people who have a very high IQ, you know, there may be somebody who has still a higher IQ, right? You know, there's no... Nobody has the highest IQ. At least no one ever told me that. No, we never told you that that's how you count, that there's some kind of a highest. So people have, people are smart, and so they're very smart, and people are super smart, but they're not ultimately smart. Right? Tomorrow you can find somebody who'll come in who'll be smarter than everybody else who's around and solve a problem that no one else could solve. So there is no such thing as ultimately smart. But we take our limited smart and we apply it to the Torah. And what do we say? What do we say about the Torah? We say, oh, it's a mistake. Or there's a contradiction. Contradiction is a word that derives from logic, from assessment, from analysis. So, you know, two people, two people can see the same thing, and one of them say, gee, that's impossible. How could that be? And the other person says, no, it happens all the time. Right? There was a time uh, before they put out almanacs. Uh, people thought that um, that an eclipse of the sun is a miraculous thing, something that could never happen. Whereas you put out the, uh, an almanac, you look at the almanac, and say it happened this year and that year, the other year, and it will happen. It gives you a list. Of, so we're, people are no longer impressed by 
by eclipses of the sun. Because you know they're going to happen. But if you don't know that they're going to happen, so there's a limit. Every, at every moment, there's an intellectual limit. The things we understand, the things we don't understand. And the things we don't understand, we may understand them tomorrow. But there'll be other things we don't understand. So when we say, the word is derived according to our cook from my ability to think logically. It comes from there. What is Bakhichim? How did I decide that they are, that they disagree with each other? Well, I have all kinds of assumptions, all kinds of facts, and all kinds of information in my head, and I decided there's a contradiction. But he says, <coughs> the third line. Yeshua Hachra'ah. In we feel that there is a contradiction. And because we feel that there is a contradiction, we have to somehow resolve that contradiction. That's what we feel. We say, well, that Torah shouldn't have a contradiction. There'll be some way, there's going to be some way that we can put ourselves in order that this will make sense. Avalimala, Avalimala in heaven, Avalimala, me say. After all, the Torah comes from God. He calls God here Ha'or Ha'eloki Ha'elyon. Ha'or Ha'eloki Ha'elyon is much greater, much more profound, much more uh, 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 much more understanding than our logic. And we are limited. God is not limited. He says, Sheshirutain bo below shum hagbala. In heaven, there is no problem with this contradiction. Because in heaven, there's no contradiction. In heaven, what doesn't make sense to us, makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. And therefore, our Cain... In heaven, nobody would ever do what we're doing. Nobody would ever say, hey, let's figure out how we can straighten out this contradiction. Because there's no contradiction in heaven. On some level of understanding... This contradiction makes a lot of sense. Al Kain Lolanu, Lefimi Datavanatenu, Natunza Mishpat, Shohafra'a. You know, we can't do that. Shabami Tokalachat's Hastira Ligabeaktuvim, but we have this pressure on us. Here the Psukim. One Pasuk says this, the other Pasuk says that. Kitve Kodesh, Hanov in the Makor Chachma and Sof, Elevnei. We need it. We can't live with this contradiction. So I th- think what Rabbi Kuki said that Rabbi Yishmael said, that's a chesed. It's a chesed from a Kodesh Bochum. In other words, the Torah didn't have to tell me how to resolve the contradiction. 
what so what do you think it's a contradiction? But it's the Torah. And if the Torah is perfect, the Torah is perfect. So if you think there's a contradiction, that's your problem. That's your problem. This is what Rav Cook this is what Rav Cook said. So, so he said, What that means, what that means is that it's a kind of a chesed bin That we are enabled, using the third pasuk rule, to sort of know what happened, even though the contradiction is still there, as far as we're concerned. Because in heaven, there's no contradiction at all. This is how we say, you know, always say, uh, uh, you know, people talk about biblical criticism, Whatever that may be, whatever it is, there are two kinds of people in the world. <laughs> there are more than two kinds of people in the world. But for this purpose of this conversation, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who believe the Torah was given by God to B'nai Israel. And the people who believe that the Torah was probably not given by God to B'nai Israel. There are two kinds of people. So for the people, for the people who who believe that the Torah was given by God to B'nai Yisrael. So the questions of the biblical critics are interesting. I mean, they may be very interesting because I'll very often ask the same question. But they don't put into doubt your essential belief. That, it, it makes a difference. It makes no difference. Uh, if somebody says, oh, this is J, this is E, and this is D, you say, oh, that's interesting. That's very interesting that these words are used here and they're not used there or this formulation is used in one place not used in others. Gee, that's interesting. Maybe I should think about it. Maybe I could come up with an interesting idea based on that. But it has no effect on my belief because there's no way this Rabbi Salvation says at the beginning of the uh, one of those essays. Inshallah. No, no. No, no. In The Lonely Man of Faith he says he says, what difference does it make? What difference does it make to us what the biblical critics say? I mean, it's interesting. What's well, not interesting? But it's nothing to do. Look, if somebody stood at Har Sinai, let's say Lu Yitzuyor, somebody was standing at Har Sinai, and he was there. God gave the Torah. Here's the Torah. I mean, this is, that's what happened. Okay, it took 38 years or 40 years, and God gave the Torah. Then somebody said, "Gee, what a funny way God has of writing the Torah." So, what would you say? You say, well, maybe God didn't write it. Maybe God didn't give it. No, you wouldn't say that. You'd say, gee, there must be some other meaning, some other hidden meaning in the, in the, in the Torah. So because of this, because it doesn't matter to the person who has faith in the giving of the Torah what the biblical critics will say, right? I'm, I'm talking about Pure categories, right? I, I, most people are confused. Right? They don't know where they are. So if you don't know where you are, so of course you know, this will affect you, that will affect you. Don't. But let's say we have a pure category of people who believe in the Torah. They believe that the Torah was given by God to the day. So you a person like that, you can go and say to him, no, the, the name of God here is used more often this way, the name of God appears more often that way. That's going to have an effect on him. He's going to, he or she, they're going to think differently about this? Certainly not. Certainly not. If somebody believes in God, the argument that I don't believe in God doesn't have much of an effect. Even the argument, whatever argument you give, you know, you know that, uh, that there are uh, well-known um, atheists. You know, being an atheist is like, sort of, in intellectual circles is coming back. It's like a, 
comes and it goes. But the arguments of the atheist, even though they're very clever, very often, don't, don't affect anybody who believes in God. I mean, I mean, what can you say to somebody who believes in God? You say, have you heard from God lately? They say, no, I haven't. But I'm sure that God is there. So what's the, what, what's the, you can't discuss something where there's no common ground. Right? You can't, it's like, you know, I don't mean to be political, but it's like the Israelis and the Palestinians, who both feel that, I think, that any kind of agreement you might come to, each side thinks they're going to lose. No matter what the agreement is. They both think that they're, that they're going to lose. There's no way you can convince them, you know, as a community, otherwise. So, the, the Jews asked an interesting question. Now, I have here a sheet. also came from a computer. I don't know how I got this. I'll tell you the truth. There's a book that's called Matike Shmua. And that's a book of things that people heard Rav Chaim Brisker say. Now, I'm bringing this because you know that Rav Chaim Brisker and Rav Kook, even though they were not exactly contemporaries, probably would not have gotten along, you know, on some level. Because Rav Chaim was all Seichel, and Rav Kook was all mystical. And the Seichel and the mystical don't always get along. So this is something that was printed in the book called Matikesh. Well, I'm going to summarize it for you. And it's about Rav Chaim's answer to a question. So it's not clear what the question is. But it says, And I think he means the Torah Shebechtav. He says, how can you ask a kasha on the Torah Shebechtav? After all, as Rav Cook pointed out, the Torah Shebechtav is perfect. And since it's perfect, if you're asking this kasha, if you say, hey, how come this is this, or that is that, so what does that mean? What does that imply? That you don't understand what the Torah is saying. And because if you say, you take a perfect, a perfect vase, or a perfect apple, and you say, why is it red? So, I mean, you don't understand what an apple is. You know, it's like, it's, it's a dumb question. So if you have the Torah, the Torah Shemichtav is perfect, how can you ever ask a kasha on the Torah Shemichtav? So, so Rav Chaim's answer, Rav Chaim's answer was that asking the question and giving the answer is itself part of the Torah. Now, I want to explain what I think this answer means. I want to explain it. If we know that Torah is divided into Torah Shemichtav and Torah Shemichtav, the nature of Torah Shabbat is that it's imperfect. In the sense that it always demands clarification. What did you mean? What is this formulation? What, what, what do people do when they learn Gemara? That's what they do. They say, how come? What do you mean? What's the machloket about? What case? In other words, the inherent nature of Torah Shabbat what well, we Gemara, right? The very nature of Gemara is that it always demands clarification, which is another way of saying I think that it's imperfect. It's imperfect, and it's us we who have to perfect it all the time. We're always trying to make it clearer to ourselves, 
We're always trying to include new cases of halacha into the system. That's what we do. But Torah Shebechtav, Torah Shebechtav, at least in the theory of Torah Shebechtav, is perfect. You can't add anything to it. And you can't subtract anything. In fact, it's, it's prohibited. The Torah itself prohibits us from tampering with the Torah Shebechtav. So the question was, the question was, since Torah Shebechtav is perfect, well, how can we ask questions about the Torah? What's the point of, of asking a question or giving an answer? Because it's already perfect, as it is. Rav Chaim said, it's perfect, but the Torah allows us to learn it, to try to think about it. As long as you're thinking about it, is in with this context, within the context of perfection, it's all right. You can do it. You can do that kind of, you can do that kind of learning. So it turns out that if I look at Rav Chaim and the Rav Kook together, if I make the Shidduch, right, even though I'm not sure they would have made the Shidduch, but if I make the Shidduch, <coughs> it turns out that when the, when Chachonim said, so Rav Kook said, on the level of, of truth, there is no, there is no kakhasha. The two psukim don't really disagree. They disagree because we don't understand them. We don't understand them properly. If we understood them properly, they would not be in disagreement one from the other. On the other hand, Rav Chaim said, the Torah enables us to look at those psukim and try to figure out what they mean. How does Rav Chaim know that? How does he know that? Because that's the 13th principle of Rabbi Yishmael. In other words, the Torah itself says that you could try to figure it out. It doesn't mean that there's a lack of perfection. That's Rav Kook. But it means, in spite of the fact that the Torah is perfect, you're allowed to invest energy in trying to figure out what the Torah Shebechtav, what the Torah Shebechtav really, really meant to, to say. I don't mean, uh, well, it doesn't matter. I would, I would, I would say that that's, that's enough of this topic so that when Rashi introduces us to the problem, he sees the puzzle and he says, you have to remember there's a problem he's not just telling me a fact about the Torah. Because actually, he's not telling me a fact about the Torah. He's telling me a fact, according to Rav Kook, about my perception of the Torah. And my perception of the Torah is wrong. Because they're not Machishim Zedze. It just looks like they're Machishim Zedze. But in spite of that, Chazal taught us that it's permitted to learn the apparent stira and try to resolve it within the context of our own understanding of things. So that we would say, sometimes Moshe Rabbeinu was outside, and sometimes Moshe Rabbeinu was inside. Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu heard God speaking to Rabbeinu Kruvim when it was the Torah that he was being taught. But when Moshe Rabbeinu was being told to do this or that, the Korach Vadato, maybe Moshe Rabbeinu was going to be standing outside or someplace else. It was not, the content was regular, a more regular kind of prophecy, and not, and not what we call Torah prophecy. Okay. Why didn't um, what? Why didn't
Say what Rav Cook said. That what would Rav Cook have said? Taking that, standing up. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody's caught up with the, the Chazal who said Shnei Tuvima. I don't know about nobody. I wish I, I wish I did. No one easy. Alright, listen. Okay, have a good Shabbos.